Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives, and check out our Instagram uh, page at instagram.com slash greatdetectives. I do want to go ahead and let you know about our other podcast. And right now, we are doing our summer series on the uh, amazing world of radio. As voted by the Patreon supporters, this year we are doing a summer of summer replacement programs. Uh, So we have had crime, music, uh, we've had comedy, and uh, we've also had some anthology dramas we're going to be doing. Uh, So there's just a great variety of old-time radio, rare stuff, but generally pretty good, and you can check it out, amazing.greatdetectives.net. And you can also listen to all of our prior series, including our Jack Webb Centennial Celebration, our Celebration of the Lives of uh, Kirk Douglas and Olivia de Havilland. So just check all that out at amazing.greatdetectives.net, and you can find all of the other podcasts that... Uh, I do over at greatdetectives.net, but now it's time for this week's episode of The Fat Man. The original air date, July the 21st, 1955, and the title is Murder Appears Out of the Past. There he goes into that drugstore. He's stepping on the scales. Weight, said much on the phone, except that money was no object, and he'd send his chauffeur to pick me up at the office. I blew smoke toward the glass partition separating me from the driver's seat and let my eyes rest on the back of the chauffeur's head. Suddenly, I ground out my cigarette, leaned forward, and tapped on the glass. The window slid silently down. Yes, sir? Is it much farther to Kingsley's place? No, sir. We're almost there. Kingsley didn't say much to me on the phone. Any idea why he's hiring a detective? If Mr. Kingsley didn't see fit to tell you, sir, I I hardly think it's my place. But you know why. Yes, sir. You're not a very talkative guy, are you? No, sir. Here's the entrance now, sir. Does old Kingsley live up here alone? No, sir. There's Mr. and Mrs. Ringall, Mr. Kingsley's daughter and son-in-law. Here we are, sir. 
I'll go and open the front door, sir. Okay. I'll leave my coat in the hall. You go tell him I'm here. Yes, sir. I won't have it. I won't have it, I tell you. I'm not a child. I won't put up with it, you understand. Well, I say we won't put up with it when we are putting up with it. I don't care. I won't have it. Mr. Runyon is here, sir. Huh? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Let him in. This way, Mr. Runyon. Come in, Mr. Runyon. Come in. I am glad you're here. Uh, this is my daughter, Grace, and her husband, Dolph Ringo. How do you do, Mr. Runyon? How do you do? I'm particularly glad you're here, Runyon. Why? Because I don't want any more broken bones. As you can see, my left arm is broken and in a cast. I'm sorry you missed that. I might add that all future injuries are yours. Mine. How did you break your arm, Ringo? Doing what Mr. Kingsley here has hired you to do. Maybe you better tell me just why you did hire me to come here, Kingsley. Yes, yes. Uh, sit down, Mr. Runyon. Sit down. I am not a child, Mr. Runyon, and I will not be frightened. What is there to be frightened of? Nothing, really. Nothing at all, except a lot of trickery and play-acting. You can call it that if you want to, Father. But you know very well it's much more than that. What kind of play-acting and trickery, Kingsley? Well, I'd better start at the beginning. Uh, that was in Cairo quite a few years ago. At that time, both my son-in-law, Mr. Ringo, and I were in business there. What sort of business? We were engaged in selling certain supplies to the Egyptian army. Uh, most of our dealings were with a Captain Stoner. Through certain carelessness on the part of Captain Stoner, we were able to make considerable profit. As a result, Stoner was court-martialed and dishonorably discharged from the army. Hey, wait a minute, Kingsley. Let's get this straight. If I'm going to work for you, I want the truth. Stoner wasn't just buying supplies for the Egyptian army from you, was he? That's right, Runyon. No use beating about the bush. Of course he wasn't just buying. He was selling army supplies back to us on the sly. Black market, huh? You call it that if you want to. That's neither here nor there. The point is that this stoner was caught and thrown out of the army in disgrace. Nothing so drastic happened to us. Naturally, he resented it. It was not our fault that stoner was caught in his dealings, but of course he blamed us. Now, after all this time, this man appears suddenly and says to me, I have come to watch you die. Now, what do you think of that, Mr. Runyon? I gather that you're not very anxious to hurry up and die on his account. That's right, Mr. Runyon. That is why I've hired you. You will have to deal with this, Captain Stoner. I see. Years later, Stoner showed up and threatened your life. Just what's he done so far? Done? Done? He's done enough. Look, look at Ringo's arm. Stoner broke it in a fight. He's terrorized my family. But even so, it's not what he has done that worries me. It's what he intends doing. I'm afraid he's going to murder me. I want you to stop him, Runyon. You know where he is? Of course I know where he is. He rented a small cottage about a quarter of a mile from here. He came with a servant, an enormous fellow named Bruno, who has the strength of a giant. Oh, a horrible man. There's something awful and sinister about this servant. Have you gone to the police about Stoner's threats? Of course I have. But it does no good. They won't take it seriously. After all, he hasn't really threatened me. He's only told me that he has come here to watch me die. You said Stoner broke your arm, Ringo. How did it happen? When Stoner first got here, I thought I could handle him. I met him one morning in the village. I lost my temper and hit him. We had a fight, and well, he broke my arm. In a way, I suppose you could say it was really my own fault. You see, I hit him first. Uh, I'm sorry about it. Mr. Kingsley! Mr. Kingsley! Yes, Tower, what is it? What's wrong? There's a fire, sir. 
It's racing through the woods in the direction of the guest house. It's the devil's stoner's work. Come on, Ringo, let's go. But your arm, darling, it's broken. Um, so you shouldn't go. Now, never mind, Grace. I won't interfere. I'm only going along to see how an expert handles things. The wind seems to be changing direction and the fire's dying down. Yes. There's not much we can do about it now, but let it burn out. As long as the wind holds this direction, it'll be okay. Yeah, good thing it didn't get into those trees. Here, give me that flashlight a minute. What are you going to do? See if there are any footprints. I think this is the spot where the fire was started. Look, over there is where the charred ground begins. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Just as I thought. <laughs> Run. Run, what was that? Wait a second, Ringo. A rock. Was that Somebody what... threw it at us. Here it is where I'm shining the light. A skull drawn on it. Yeah, with a red crayon. It's not all either. Look down on the ground at these footprints. They're big enough to fit the description of Bruno, Stoner's servant. Listen, Runyon, I'm I'm afraid. I, I didn't want to say too much back at the house because I, I don't want to upset Kingsley any more than he already is, but... I think Stoner is insane, dangerously insane. You see, back in Cairo, Stoner was, well, he was easy to handle. He was nothing like he is now. I tell you, he's a madman now. He certainly sounds like an interesting guy. Well, what do we do about it? I'm not sure yet. But first thing in the morning, I'm going to call on Captain Stoner. <laughs> You wish to see the captain? Yeah. Is he here? This way, please. The captain is eating breakfast. Here is the gentleman, captain. Don't tell me I was expected. Oh, yes, sir. Good morning, Mr. Runyon. I don't remember meeting before, Stoner. Oh, oh, we haven't met before, Mr. Runyon. But you see, I know quite a bit about you. You get around, don't you? Do sit down. You must pardon my breakfast until late, but I slept very badly. I had a most abominable dream. I dreamt that Vernon Kingsley's throat had been cut from here to here. <laughs> yes, it was a closely gory business. He bled and screamed horribly, that's why. I don't suppose you liked that, did you, Captain Stone? Oh, getting his throat cut was all the good, but he bled and screamed so. It was really quite annoying. Yeah. Was it throat cutting that you had in mind when you threatened Kingsley's life? Well, I threatened him. Why, dear fella, I never have threatened Vernon Kingsley. I was in Weber, a stinking little African village, and one morning a voice spoke to me from an orange tree. It said, go to the state, Stola, and there you will see Vernon Kingsley die. Well, I thought that was a capital idea. Uh, naturally, I thanked the voice, told myself Bruno to pack, and started at once. As soon as I found Kingsley, I told him about it, uh, thinking perhaps he'd die immediately, uh, so I wouldn't have to wait precious months, sir. Is that why you've been trying to hurry it up? I beg your pardon. Last night there was a fire in the brush behind Kingsley's house. Yes, yes, I saw the fire. You didn't happen to see any rocks with red skulls drawn on them, did you? I, I don't understand. Somebody threw one at me. Oh, oh, really now? Why would anybody do that? I don't know. Unless whoever threw it was trying to scare Kingsley and his family. I have spent years in Africa, and I have much faith in the voices that come from orange trees. Uh, you needn't think for one moment that I've had anything to do with whatever's happened. Your servant Bruno, huh? Perhaps. He has an incorrigible bent for the ruder sort of African horseplay. 
I'll gladly punish him for any misbehavior of which you can prove him guilty. Let me catch him, Adam, and I'll do my own punishing. Be sure you have a firm grip on him. He's remarkably effective with his two knives. Thanks. I'll try and remember that. By the way, Stoner, the voice didn't happen to say anything about Kingsley's son-in-law, Ringo, did it? There's no need. When the body dies, the hand is dead. I have often wondered if the voice spoke to Kingsley, too. I once asked him, but he was most evasive about it. I can imagine. In most similar cases, the voice that warns of a person's death also speaks to the victim. I, I believe that's the conventional way of doing it. I wouldn't know. I'd have a talk with an orange tree. Maybe I ought to ask Kingsley what he dreamed last night. Did he look nightmarish this morning? I don't know. I left before he was up. But you mean you've no idea what shape he's in this morning, whether he's alive or not? Whether my dream was a true one or not? No idea at all. My dear man, that's capital, capital. You called me, sir? Yes, Bruno, yes. Take it once. We leave immediately. Our mission is finished. It is good. Yes, sir. And you better wait to make sure. But I am sure. As sure as when the voice spoke from the orange tree. There's nothing to wait for now. I've seen him die. In a dream. Was it a dream? Well, goodbye, my friend. Perhaps we shall meet again someday if your work ever brings you to Africa. Oh, by the way, please remember me to Kingsley's daughter and son-in-law. I really can't sincerely send condolences. Captain Stoner? Yes, I saw him. Where's Kingsley? I don't know. I haven't seen him this morning. Why? What's wrong? Stoner had a dream last night. It was a very pretty dream. A dream? I don't understand. Neither do I. Where's Kingsley's room? Oh, down at the end of the hall. He must still be asleep. Uh, what did you think of Stoner? Is he crazy? Not very. He wanted to be remembered to you and Mrs. Ringo. And by the way, how's your arm this morning? Oh, rotten. It gave me trouble all night. Ah, that's his room. <laughs> Well, what are you staring at me for, Runyon? Have I forgotten my necktie? No. Your neck looks all right. All right? Of course it's all right. Did you see Captain Stoner? Did you find out what he's up to? Yeah. When I left, he was packing to go back to Africa. Around noon, it started to rain. A steady, dreary downpour. Nobody came in or went out of the house. Late in the afternoon, I walked back over to Stoner's cottage. It was locked tight. Through the windows, I could see that it was empty. There was no sign of the captain or his giant servant. I would have come back to the city that night, but Kingsley wouldn't hear of it. He was still plenty scared. The evening passed quietly, and everybody went to bed early. The next morning, I was awakened by the sudden, violent opening of my bedroom door. Father, the chauffeur, stood there. His face was gray with fright, and his eyes bulged in his head. It's happened! It's happened. What's happened? What's wrong? Down there. Down there. It's awful. Awful. Quick babbling and talk. What is it? It's Mr. Kingsley, sir. Mr. Kingsley. I went and awakened him just now. There he was, lying across the bed with his throat cut from ear to ear. What should we do, Ronnie? It, it's terrible. Shouldn't we move him? 
Just to leave his body there across the bed seems wrong. I'm sorry, Ringo, but we'll have to leave him here until the police come. What about Stoner and his threat? The police already have an alarm out for him and the big servants. They won't get far. Where's your wife? She's in a room. That devil Stoner making up that story of the dream and pretending to leave? He must have waited in the village until we were all asleep. He didn't wait in the village. Well, how do you know? After I called the police, I telephoned the man who had rented the cottage to Stoner. He's the station master in the village. He told me that Stoner came in yesterday afternoon, turned in the keys, paid for two weeks' rent, and said he'd been unexpectedly called away. Then Stoner and the servant, Bruno, took all their baggage and got on the 210 train to the city. The station master was sure of that? Positive. He was standing on the platform when the train pulled out. The dead man hired you to protect him, eh, Run? Okay, okay, Mac. Don't rub it in. I thought this fellow Stoner had cleared out. I've talked to everybody. None of them heard anything or saw anything from bedtime last night until the chauffeur opened the door to call him this morning and saw him dead. Do you know any more than that? No. Well, I guess this crazy Captain Stoner's our man, all right. Yeah. You oughtn't to have much trouble finding him. Oh, uh-huh. we'll find him. Don't you worry about that. What did the doctor say? Well, he says Kingsley was killed between 3 and 4 this morning with a heavy knife. Hey, uh, Anderson, send Lester Ringo in here. Okay, Lieutenant. Find the knife yet? Yeah. One of the boys found it out in the shrubs near the driveway. The murderer evidently tossed it in there after killing Kingsley. There weren't any fingerprints on it. We haven't found anything else inside or out of the house. You know, it's funny, uh, a fellow as scared as Kingsley was supposed to have been didn't keep himself locked up tighter. His windows were open, anybody could have gotten in. His door wasn't even locked. You wanted to see me, Lieutenant? Yeah. Is Stoner left-handed, Ringo? Why, not exactly, but he's, uh, he's very nearly ambidextrous, as I remember, but uses his left hand more than his right. Why? Because I think Kingsley was killed by a left-handed man. <laughs> Come on in. So you finally picked Stoner up. Yeah, I told you we'd find him. Those circulars we put out on him did the trick. Where did you find him? In the Chicago rolling house. Yesterday afternoon, the Chicago police got an anonymous phone call tipping him off as to where Stoner was. They went over to the rolling house, and there both of them were. The big servant, Bruno, and Stoner. They flew him in last night. Does he talk? No, he's talked funny, but he hasn't said the right word. He denies killing Kingsley. That's right. He says he doesn't know a thing about it. You know, he must be crazy. Well, we got him dead to rights. First he tells you about that dream, then he skips out of town. He could easily have hired a car and returned to the Kingsley place that night, and finally he won't say where he was the night of the murder. You mean he hasn't any kind of alibi at all? None. Doesn't seem to bother him either. When I asked him why he skipped out, he just kind of smiled and said that he knew there wasn't anything more to wait for after his dream, so he left. He said when he heard about the murder, he knew we'd be looking for him, so he went to seclusion. Then he just sat there grinning and acting smug and smooth as silk. I tell you, the guy's nuts. I'm not so sure about that. What about that big servant, Bruno? Eh, nothing there at all. Just clammed up tight, wouldn't say a word. Has Stoner got a lawyer yet? Sure, I think the lawyer's nuts, too. Why? Well, just before you got down here to headquarters, the two of them had a talk in his cell. When it was over, out comes this cocky little lawyer with a grin a mile wide in his face. Both he and Stoner actually seem happy about the whole thing. I don't get it. Neither do I, and I don't like it. You know... If it wasn't such an open and shut case, I'd almost think they had something up their sleeve. Don't be too sure they haven't. Well, 
Both Bruno and Stoner were indicted for murder. Before the trial, neither of them opened his mouth, except to occasionally talk to the little lawyer, whose name was John Loder. Most of the time, they just sat there grinning, looking like the cat that ate the canary. They didn't waste any time on the trial. The prosecution stepped in the first and second day and went to town. They didn't miss a trick, and Stoner admitted everything. Everything, that is, except the actual murder. He flatly denied that. On the third day, it was the defense's turn. Loader, their little lawyer, adjusted his glasses, grinned at the court, and called one witness. His name was Nathaniel Jones. And now, Mr. Jones, would you kindly tell the court what your occupation is? <coughs> I'm the sheriff of Green County. And where is Green County, Mr. Jones? Why, it's the county next to this one, uh, on the south. And that will place Green County about 50 miles from Fourth County, where the murder of Vernon Kingsley took place during the early morning hours of January 9th, would it not? It sure would. Now, Mr. Jones, I want you to look carefully at the two defendants sitting there. Have you ever seen these two men before? Oh, I sure have. Would you kindly tell the court just where, when, and under what circumstances? I sure will. I first seen them both sitting in Ralph Dingle Saloon in Needleville about 8 o'clock on the night of January 8th. That would be the evening before the murder of Vernon Kingsley, would it not? Yes, sir. What were these two gentlemen doing with this sort when you saw them? They were getting drunker than billy goats and trying to pick a fight with Ike Sanford. Seeing as how I'm sheriff, I throw them in jail where they belonged. How long did they stay there? Until noon the next day when they sobered up. So at the time of Kingsley's murder, the defendants were both in your jail. Is that right, Sheriff? It sure is. The defense rests its case. Hello. Hello. Mr. Runyon? Yeah, this is Runyon. Uh, Mr. Runyon, this is Grace Ringo, Mr. Kingsley's daughter. Oh, yes, Mrs. Ringo. Mr. Runyon, they've come back. Donor and his servant? Yes. They've taken the same cottage again. They can't have come back for any reason, except that they mean to kill my husband, as I'm sure they did my father. My husband won't listen to me. He laughs at me and calls me a foolish child and tells me he can take care of himself. But he can't. And not at least with a broken arm. And they'll kill him just as they killed father. I know it. Owner hates your husband as much as he hated your father. Yes, he does. You see... Uh, the trouble in Cairo was actually more my husband's fault than it was father's. Will you? Won't you please try to keep them from killing him? I'll do what I can. How long have they been back? Uh, since the day before yesterday. Okay, Mrs. Ringo. I'll be down the first thing in the morning. to get a man out of bed in a cold night. What do you plan to do? We're both going to do a little watching and waiting. Yeah, there are the lights that's on this cottage down there. See them? Yeah, yeah, somebody there, all right. You know, you get a good view here even at night. Yeah. I can tell now if anybody comes in or out of the cottage. Hand me that night glass. Here. Uh-uh. What's wrong? Somebody just came out of the back door of the cottage and started walking up toward the Kingsley place. Who is it? Mrs. Ringo, Kingsley's daughter. Oh, we've been sitting here for two hours, Runyon. I'm freezing. What are you waiting for? This. Here. Quick, take a look through these glasses. 
There. Coming up the walk to the cottage. Ringo? Yeah. Kingsley's son-in-law. You can see his left arm is still on a swing. He's going inside. Out your gun, Mackenzie. What for? Those are rough customers down there, and we're going to pay them a call. Oh, but I don't get it, Ronnie. What does it mean? First Kingsley's daughter, and then her husband. I thought you said they were afraid of Stoner. Right now, I'm not quite sure just who's afraid of who. Come on. Hurry, Matt, hurry! Drop that gun, Ringo! I'll take care of this. So, you got Stoner and Bruno. They tried to shoot me first. They, they were going to kill me. I, I had to do it. Watch him, Mackenzie. Right. Stoner's still alive. I guess I move. Stoner. Stoner! Just stay right where you are, Ringo, and keep your hands over your head. But I tell you, I... I said don't move. There have been too many killings around here already. Okay, Stoner. Okay. Take it easy. He's dead. But he lingered just long enough. Ringo, you're under arrest for the murder of Vernon Kingsley. You're out of your mind. Am I? Stoner just told me enough before he died to fill in some things I'd been guessing at. It's a lie. Stoner killed Kingsley. When I saw your wife leave this cottage a while ago, I got suspicious and started thinking back a bit. The first time I saw Stoner, he was eating breakfast. And he used all his utensils with his right hand. Mackenzie said Kingsley was killed by a left-handed man. All the more reason to prove my innocence. My left arm is broke, is it? Just suppose your wife and you and Stoner were in cahoots and planned to get rid of Kingsley for his dough. To keep suspicion from yourself, it might have been a smart idea to tell Kingsley you'd had a fight with Stoner and that your arm broke. Stoner just mentioned that. Mackenzie, take that cat in his arm. Keep away from me. Keep away. You sure you want me to do this, Ronion? Here, I'll do it. This will make a good hammer. You can't do this. My arm. You're not fooling. <laughs> Once more now. <laughs> Now, I'll pull this phony bandage off. You see, Mac? Just the sound is mine. All right. All right, I I did kill Kingsley. Okay, let's have the rest of it. Stoner and Bruno, knowing they couldn't be tried on the same charge they'd been acquitted of, came back to blackmail me into a, a bigger share of the money. And I had to get rid of them. If Stoner had only died before he had a chance to talk, I'd have gotten away with it. On the contrary, Ringo. You see, Stoner didn't talk. What? what? No, Stoner didn't talk. I just said that to make you confess easier. You double... Shut up. I've been thinking about you ever since your wife called. But you put the final touch on it yourself. When we broke in here a minute ago, I told you to drop your gun. You dropped it. Out of your left hand. Bring him along, Mac. He'll go pick up his wife. <laughs> I spend my life in getting into trouble and getting out of it. But at the same time, I generally manage to get some other people in and out of trouble, too. Be seeing you again. So long.
Welcome back. Well, after my extended rant yesterday on Double Jeopardy, I do have to say that this episode did use it correctly, so good on that. The trick them into confessing maneuver was used, and wasn't entirely sure it was necessary. But then again, all Brad really had was his testimony and his hunch about the hand. I actually could have probably done the part where he revealed the hand was fine without the confession. But at any rate, we do turn now to some listener comments and feedback now. And I have this comment from over at the Great Detectives website by Ian, who writes, I've uh, been really enjoying the Australian editions of The Fat Man, which are very well done, and to my admittedly English ears, sound authentically American. Lloyd Barrell's uh, performance as Brad uh, Runyon makes me wonder about how actors go about sounding fat when performing on the radio. Uh, Barrel was only 29 years old at the time the shows were recorded and would only live to the age of 31. Sidney Greenstreet, as Nero Wolf, of course, could act like a fat man uh, to the manner born. My favorite old-time radio fat performance is Lawrence Dopkin as the obese Sergeant Myers in The Man from Homicide. Dobkin was anything but fat in real life, but created a vivid picture of a 300-pound detective. Uh, well, thanks so much for the comment, Ian. And, you know, I am not up on all the uh, voice acting tricks, but I do know that the very talented actors really enjoy that about the audio medium, that they can be characters who are fat or thin or older or younger just by the way they control their voice. Of course, in physical acting, whether it's on the big screen or the small screen, you're limited really by your looks and by what you could reasonably be cast in. But on audio, you can become anyone or anything. A great example of this are the some of the fantastic uh, audios that Big Finish uh, did, uh, and they did a series called Jago and Lightfoot, based on two characters who appeared in Doctor Who in the 1970s. And uh, these gentlemen did 13 series as these, you know, brave men of action. A bit middle-aged, but, you know, they could, you know, they were detectives. At the time of recording, uh, they, the two stars of Jago and Lightfoot were in their uh, late 70s and early 80s. So while I don't pretend to understand how it works on a technical level, it is really remarkable what they're able to do and the pictures they can create in our minds. Thanks so much for the comment, Ian. And I want to go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Joshua, Patreon supporter since February 2016, currently supporting the show at the shameless level of $4 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Joshua. And I do have an announcement. We actually only have three more episodes of The Fat Man left. Because of vacation, it will be four more weeks, but then we'll be getting into uh, some previously uncirculated programs, and after four weeks of that, then we'll get into the adventures of Bill Lance. But that will do it for today. I do want to remind you that if you are enjoying this podcast, please be sure to rate and review it wherever you download your podcast from. 
Join us back here tomorrow with The Man Called X, and we will be back in two weeks with another episode of The Fat Man. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives, and follow us over on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.